Before Easter, I preached uh, three messages on, on uh, parenting. I want to preach one last one today, part four, the last one. And I want to talk about the, the uh, hot button topic of discipline. And uh, certainly, discipline is a controversial subject in our society, so much so people are afraid to talk about it. And I had several people actually ask me in the last few weeks who knew I was going to talk about discipline today. And they asked me, so are you, are you nervous to talk about discipline? And the answer is, no, I'm not nervous. Uh, if we can't talk about it here in church, uh, where can we talk about it? I think discipline is a wonderful thing to talk about. And, uh, and, so, and when you see, I'm going to walk you through the whole thing today, when you see what discipline is and what it isn't, it's just irrefutable how necessary and wonderful and good, proper, loving, appropriate discipline is. It's really important. Now, I know that some of you might be sitting there and you might be worried like, oh my, what is Chris going to say today? All right? So I'll just walk you through three parts of this message. And, and trust me, I'm not going to say anything that, uh, that will freak most of you uh, out here. But the first part, I want to just show you how important discipline is. The second part of this message, I want to show you what discipline is and, and talk about some practical things and define it. And then the third part, I want to put some safeguards in place. And I want to uh, define for you the difference between uh, uh, discipline and abuse. And that, that's where a lot of people, that's why a lot of people are freaked out by discipline now in our culture, is they see discipline and abuse as the same thing. They don't see a difference between those two things. And there's a clear difference between those, those things. And I want to show you that uh, in today's message. So let's pray, and then let's get into this. And I want to start by praying for the encounter retreats. We've got two going on right now, one in Pinawa and one in BC. Pastor Tim is out there right now. So let's pray for that, and then we'll get into this message. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord Jesus, uh, first of all, Father, we just thank you for the influence that uh, you're beginning to have uh, across this nation through this church, Lord. And I thank you for the, the uh, encounter retreat that's going on in British Columbia right now. And Father, we pray for all the participants in, our, in these two, in Pinawan and in BC, Father. They have uh, set aside time and money to go on these retreats this weekend. Lord, I pray that every person who has sowed in time and money into these retreats is going to reap back a hundredfold spiritually, Father, in the things you're going to do in their life. I pray every participant on these two retreats, Lord Jesus, um, that they are going to hear your voice, first of all, that they are going to have an encounter with you. Lord, I pray that chains are going to fall off their lives and they're going to begin to walk in freedom and, uh, and the joy of knowing you in a close relationship with you. And Lord, for the rest of us here this morning on this last uh, message on, on parenting, Father, uh, my desire, Jesus, is that we would raise up from the kids. We have many kids. We have hundreds and hundreds of kids coming to church here at Southland. And Father, my prayer is that we're going to raise up a mighty generation, that the next generation is going to blow the socks off of this nation, Father. They're going to love you. They're going to be devoted to you. And they're going to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, but they're also going to operate in character. Father, I pray that you would help us as parents and as a church to raise up a generation like that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I want to start this message off by stating clearly that God would never, ever tell us to do something that is harmful to a child. And again, I, I need to start this message off in this place because so many people in our culture view discipline and abuse and, uh, as the same thing. And they think of discipline as a harmful thing, as injuring a child. And I just want to start this message off by saying God, God loves kids. And, I'm, I'm, and I was going to start this message by showing you a bunch of passages again, but I just don't have time. And we looked at that, especially in, in part one of this series. And so you can go back and listen to that if you haven't been there. But in part one of this series, I watched you through a whole bunch of passages which talk about God's zealous, passionate, extreme love for children. 
He loves kids so much the Bible tells us that he's constantly watching them. He has assigned specific angels to each and every child on planet earth. We looked at that as well. And he's constantly watching them. And he hates abuse. And he is angry at abusers. And so we also saw how God's judgment is going to come against all of those who abuse and harm uh, children. Okay? And so that is just so clear in Scripture. Okay? God would never tell us to do anything that would harm a child. So the fact that the Bible says so much about discipline, there's quite a bit in here about discipline. The fact that God tells us to discipline our kids means that discipline and abuse must be two totally different things. And so the place I want to start this message off here today actually is I want to show you the spirit and the heart that God has when he disciplines us. Because our mandate as parents is to parent our children in the same way that God parents us, right? And I want to show you God's heart in disciplining us. And when you see what God's heart is in disciplining us and you see what a parent's heart is supposed to be in disciplining their kids, you're going to already begin to see that discipline and abuse are, are two they're opposite things. They're very, very different from each other. And so I want to start with Psalm 103. Psalm 103 shows us God's heart towards us. And this is supposed to be our heart as parents towards our kids. All right? Here it is. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Isn't that a wonderful statement? That is a wonderful statement. Whether you're a parent here or not, that is just a wonderful statement that we can worship the Lord with. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. If you're here today and you are a person who is quick to anger, you are not in a position to properly discipline your kids. Next verse. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He's not always scolding us. He's not always punishing us. Verse 10, he does not deal with us. Now think about, let the words of this verse sink into your head. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. He's a just God, but it says here in this verse that he doesn't overpunish us. He disciplines us, he lovingly corrects us, but he doesn't overpunish us. He does not deal with us as we fully do deserve. It's amazing. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I sometimes hear of parents who pride themselves on their strictness and severity. And that is the wrong thing to pride yourself on. God does not pride himself on strictness and severity. He prides himself on compassion towards his kids. This is the heart of God towards us. This is supposed to be our heart towards our kids. And if this is your heart, discipline will never be anywhere close to abuse. It can't be. Final verse, and I think this verse is maybe one of my favorite in all of the Psalms. Verse 14, For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. In other words, he understands how weak we are. God doesn't set way too high expectations for you and I, and then beat you when you don't make it. God doesn't say, here you go, guys, hit perfect. And when we don't, yell, scold, discipline, snap on us. That's not what he does. He understands our frame. He knows that we're from the dust. He knows how weak we are. And this is the same attitude as parents, that we, are, we have a mandate to parent our kids the way he parents us. 
where we don't just discipline our kids. We don't just set this bar up here and then punish kids every time they don't make it. We have to have an understanding heart of how weak they are. And God knows our temptations. He knows the things we go through. He knows how we fall, how we make commitments and break them. He knows all of those things, and he's understanding of our weakness. Is that not an amazing God that we have? Now, okay, so that's the heart behind discipline. Now, of course, in our culture today, um, you know, uh, people are going away from discipline entirely. And I wanted to start with this passage because I wanted to show you that the heart behind uh, discipline is not abuse. It's not to seek harm. But a lot of people in our culture now, we're just putting discipline right out of, uh, off the, off the, the, the thing. Like we don't, we don't want to do it. And we just want to have, a lot of Christians nowadays would look at this passage and they would say, I don't want to discipline my kids. I just want to instead be gracious and compassionate to them. And that would be an extreme on the other side. And this passage here, Psalm 103, is not telling us that God doesn't discipline us. It's not telling us that God is gracious and merciful with us instead of disciplining us. See, grace and mercy and discipline aren't opposed. This passage isn't telling us that God is gracious and mercy instead of disciplining us. It's telling us that when God disciplines us in everything he does, he does it with grace and mercy. Do you see the difference? And many in our culture now would want to take a passage like this. They have no problem with a passage like this. Yes, Chris, that's a parenting passage right there. But what they actually take from this is not what they should. And I want to show you Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 and Psalm 103 have to go hand in hand. It's not that God has grace and mercy instead of discipline. It's that God disciplines with grace and mercy. Let me show you this. Hebrews chapter 12. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So it's not that God doesn't discipline us. It says here that God disciplines us. Every single one of his kids. Because he loves us. Psalm 103 isn't at the wayside. Psalm 103 and Hebrews 12 go hand in hand. It's because of God's grace and mercy, and it's in his grace and mercy that he disciplines us because he loves us. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now, that's a good question. Because in today's day and age, there are a lot of fathers who don't have the guts to discipline their kids. There are a lot of fathers in today's day and age, a lot of Christian fathers today in today's day and age that do not have the guts to discipline their kids. God disciplines us and we have a mandate to parent our kids in the same way. Verse 8, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, that's a crazy statement right there. If God doesn't discipline you, you're not saved. You're not one of his kids. Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. When God disciplines you and I, and it says here that he disciplines every single one of his kids. Some of us have to have a bit more than others, but every one of us has to have some discipline. But God doesn't discipline us because, well, they just deserve it and I've got to give it to them. That's not, that's not the spirit of his discipline. Okay, that's punishment. When you're one of his kids and you're actually trying to follow him, uh, his spirit, the spirit behind his discipline is not because you deserve it. The spirit behind your discipline is it's for your good. See, there's this thing called holiness. 
And holiness is, is, is a piece of heaven in your life. You might not know that holiness is what you really want in your life, but you actually want holiness. Can you imagine a life where you, had, where you were living pure and righteous, where anger was put aside and lust was put aside, and you were walking in integrity and love and the fruit of the Spirit? That's a bit of heaven in your heart, holiness. Now, many of us don't even know we want holiness because we don't know how good holiness is. But God knows that we actually want holiness. To be walking in holiness is an amazing gift. And, some, and of course, we won't reach it until Jesus comes back. Only when he comes back and we get a resurrected bodies, that's the only time when we're going to finally just fully reach and live in holiness. But up to that point, God is moving us towards holiness. And the only way to move us to this place that we actually want to be, even though many of us don't know we want to be there, the, to move us there takes painful consequences. And so it's not that God likes to give us pain. It's that we're here and he knows we'll be much happier and better off if we're over there. And he says, I'm more than willing to give you some short-term painful consequences to move you over here for our good. By the way, there's whole swaths of the church that today theologically, the whole health and wealth gospel and all sorts of stuff, God only wants to bless you, is such balderdash and so much against scripture here, it's pathetic. They totally leave out this thing that God loves you and wants to move you to a better place than where you're at. And he will gladly use a little bit of pain to get you to this better place. He disciplines all of his kids. And so we finish this way in verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I'm going to come back to that later. But if it's not painful, it's not discipline. If it's not painful, it's not discipline. All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, look at this. And don't you want this in your life? Don't you want this in your kid's life? But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God says the only way to get you to this place where the fruit of the Spirit is shining through your life is discipline. I have to move you through this thing of discipline. Discipline in the hands of our loving Father in heaven helps to purify out some of the selfishness and pride and disrespect and rebellion that is bound up in our hearts. And it's only through this painful process of discipline that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control comes out brighter and stronger than before. And the truth is, the same is with our kids. God has given us our kids and he has said, you have a first, you know, 18 or so years with them and you have a big role in parenting them for me in those formative years. And if you want your kids to grow up and experience the peaceful fruit of righteousness, you must act as God's agent in training them by godly, loving, appropriate discipline. Hugely important. Discipline is for your child's good. That's my first point. Discipline is for your child's good. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about making your life easier. Discipline is for your child's good. Discipline is essential in the formation of your child's heart. You can teach them all the Bible verses you want. You can have all the family devotions. You can take them to all the youth services. And all of those things are important. And we've got to teach them the Bible. And we've got to bring them to church. And all of those are components of bringing up godly kids. But there's one thing you just can't leave out, and that's discipline. Discipline is essential in the formation of your child's heart. You want your child to grow up and have the fruit of the Spirit in their life. You need to discipline them while they're young. 
The Bible says this over and over and over again. I'm going to show you a whole bunch of passages, and I won't even be able to get to all of them that the Bible has, but let's look at a bunch of them. Proverbs 22, verse 15 says this. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now, just ignore the part about the rod for now. I'm going to come back to that later, okay? Don't get all hysterical about that. I know we have people in our, in our uh, culture now, I mean, they hear the rod of discipline and they, you know, they see colors, they go crazy, okay? Just ignore that. I'm going to come back to it, I promise. But what I want you to see here, first of all, is that there is folly bound up in the heart of every child. Folly. And this, uh, there's a lie in our culture and it's infecting Christians more and more and more and it will completely, if you're here today and you're a parent or if you're here today and you're going to be a parent someday, this will completely mess up your parenting. There is this lie that children are born basically good and, and you don't need to discipline them or tell them no or give them painful consequences ever. No, no, no. You need to encourage them and help them discover their true selves. Because if, if you just help them find their true selves and encourage them and say yes to them basically whatever they want, if you just do that, they'll turn into happy, unique, creative, wonderful people. <laughs> Yuck. It doesn't work. The Bible says, no, 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 no. Yes, your child is born with some good things in their heart. Yes. But every single child, 100%, is born with folly tangled up with that good stuff too. And that folly consists of selfishness, pride, arrogance, vanity, and a whole host of other things. And they are born that way, and it's tied up inside like that. And here's the thing, if you leave them, if you just let them grow up, a lot of parents just think, my job, yeah, again, and this is the culture, let's just feed them, make them happy, get them in lots of activities, open up their educational opportunities, and then send them out at 18, and hopefully they'll be well-adjusted adults. And that's not our job. They were given to you as little babies, they've got this cancer in their hearts called folly. And you've got to help them drive some of that out before they become adults. Because if you leave it there and you don't address it, it will become rooted in their adult character. And once, it, once that folly is rooted in their adult character, first of all, it's very hard to get rid of, as many of you know. But second of all, they might not even want to deal with it. You leave a kid to grow up with the cancer of selfishness and pride in their hearts, and when they grow up, they're going to end up on the wrong side of God. You say, yeah, but my kid, when she was four, she prayed a prayer to ask Jesus in her heart. The Bible doesn't talk about that in the book of James when it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It doesn't say God opposes the proud except the proud ones who ask Jesus into their heart. It just says he opposes the proud. So if your kid, it doesn't matter they prayed a prayer to receive Jesus into their heart. If they grow up to be proud people, they're going to end up on the wrong side of God. And so your job isn't to just help your kids discover themselves. Your job is to help them because they can't do it themselves. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And this is where you come in as a parent if you love them, but discipline drives it far from them. Discipline helps to purge it out. And this is why, again, parents who don't uh, raise their kids with discipline, they end up raising kids who are resistant to God, even, even if they have lots of spiritual knowledge. They might raise the kid in the church. The kid might even keep going to church afterwards, but they will be resistant to God because they don't know how to submit. And this is why kids, parents who raise their kids without discipline often raise their kids to hell. Oh, why did, I was just waiting for him to drop a bomb like that in this message. Why would you say that? Kids, uh, parents that raise their kids without discipline are raising their kids to hell. I'll tell you why I said that, because it's in the Bible. Let me show you this one. 
Proverbs 23, verse 13 to 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. Okay? Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Now, I don't want to get into a whole complicated theological discussion about Sheol. I just read, wrote a paper about that recently. It's very interesting stuff. All you need to know is in this passage, Solomon is using the word Sheol to refer to what we would basically think of as hell today. Okay? Do not withhold discipline from your child. Because by withholding discipline, you're going to let that kid grow up with this cancer in their heart and it will destroy their soul. Discipline them in love and appropriately so that you can save them from hell. This is why another passage of Scripture says this, Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. If you love your kid and actually care about your kid's eternity, you will discipline them. Their little hearts need it. They've got a disease they can't treat on their own. You know, I knew uh, I know a guy here at our church right now, and uh, uh, when he was very young, he had a serious, very serious cancer. Would have killed him. And uh, so now, what did his parents do? Because um, the treatments were very painful, extremely painful, very painful, made him very uncomfortable. Now, did the parents think to themselves, you know what? I love him too much. I don't want to see him go through that pain. So we'll just let the cancer kill him. Does that make any sense? No. They took him in for treatments. Did he cry when he got the treatments? Yes. Was it hard for the parents to watch their kid go through pain and suffering as he's getting treatments for the cancer? Yes. But was it the right thing to do? He lived. He's here today in his church. He serves here. He's got a family. He's married, kids, all that sort of stuff. It's a little bit of short-term pain. Is it fun for the parent, the short-term pain? No. But if you actually love your kid, you want to save them from long-term harm. That's what you want. You want to save them from long-term harm. That is just so important. Proverbs 19, verse 18 says this. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Do not be a willing party to his death. Your kid is born with some poisons that have the potential to inflict harm on his and her soul. So give them treatments. Give them treatments, sin treatments, cancer treatments, cancer treatments of the soul. It's discipline. Now, I want to say something else here. Talking is not discipline. A lot of parents these days, some of these people are already laughing. A lot of parents these days, they want to substitute talking for discipline. So the kid misbehaves, I'm going to take you over here, I'm going to talk to you for a bit. Now, I'm all for talking. Three weeks ago, for those of you who are going to go off the deep end now and think I'm not for talking, three weeks ago I preached a whole message on listen to your kids and communicate with your kids. Did I not? It's there. Go back and listen to it. I believe in talking. In fact, I believe that talking and communication and discipline go hand in hand. Discipline should never be done apart from communication and talking. Yes. Communication and discipline partners. Okay? They go hand in hand. But what's happening nowadays is, for many Christian parents, talking is replacing discipline. It's just talking. I want you to notice here in these verses, it does not say folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but if you talk to him, it'll drive it out of him. It doesn't say that. Remember what I read in Hebrews. All discipline is painful, not pleasant, and it yields. It's out of that pain that you get the, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Discipline, or it doesn't say in, the, in Proverbs 19, 18, talk to your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Discipline is needed for our children. 
Talking to your kids when they misbehave instead of disciplining them is like taking them for a cancer treatment to the doctor. You go to the doctor, the doctor puts up all the pictures, the x-rays and the CAT scans, and he shows the child, look what this is doing to your body. It's ravaging your body. It's killing your body. It's really terrible. It's too bad you have cancer, and then sends them home without actually treating them for the cancer. That's what talking without discipline is. It's telling your kid the problem without helping to treat the problem. And the Bible is very clear about this. Let's go to Ephesians 6. I could show you a whole bunch of other verses, but I want to go to Ephesians 6 now, and I want to show you an amazing promise in Scripture, a famous verse. We all know it from Sunday school if you, if you were a Christian ever since you were a kid. It's Ephesians 6, 1 to 3, and uh, amazing promise uh, for your kids. And it's the motivation behind discipline. Ephesians 6, 1 to 3 says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So there's, there's, two, pro, there's, there's two commands there for kids and there's two blessings. Children, obey your parents and honor your parents, that's respect. Children, obey your parents and respect your parents and if you do that, it will go well with you and you will live long in the land. You will be under God's blessing. Now, the th- this, this passage is just absolutely beautiful because it just simplifies. I love how the Bible always simplifies it. You read, you read a lot of the parenting books these days, and it makes it more complicated. They have so many techniques and so many things. You read the Bible, and it's just, oh, yeah, here's what really matters again. And what I love with this passage is it shows us that God has two basic expectations of your kids. There's two really important ones. It's not 10. It's not 15. It's not 20. God measures the, 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 the spiritual quality of your child's life by two things, primarily obedience and respect. An obedient and respectful child is doing A-plus work in God's, in God's kingdom. He's not looking. See, we parents, we're looking for all kinds. We're measuring our kids by all kinds of crazy stuff. We're adding things to this. We're making it super complicated. We're measuring our kids by, you know, has he memorized as many verses as the other guy in his Sunday school class? And has he, you know, what, what's, how many, what's, what are his grades at school? And, and by the way, again, those are, I have my kids memorizing. I want my kids to do good in school. But those are secondary things. God measures, you, he measures the spirituality and godliness of your kid by obedience and respect. And a kid who is obedient and respectful from the heart is soaring with God. They're soaring. They're walking with God. A child who is obedient and respectful from the heart will grow up to be massively used by God. Yes, every time. Because those are the type of people God uses. Humble. He opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. An obedient, respectful child grows up to be used by God. A disobedient and disrespectful kid cannot be used by God. There's another one of those statements. Some of you are going, oh, why do you say that? Let me just repeat it for you. A disrespectful, disobedient kid cannot be used by God until he first breaks the disobedience and disrespect off of them, which, if he has to do it in adulthood, as some of you know, is a very painful process. He just can't. God doesn't disrespectful, disobedient people. How does God use them? Humility is this main thing in the kingdom. Very important for God. Very important to being used by God and following God. So God looks at your kids and you're measuring them by a whole bunch of things. Have they asked Jesus into their heart yet? Check. How are they memorizing lots of verses? Check. Are they getting good grades at school? Check. And we're measuring them by secondary things. And God just says, are they obedient and respectful? If they are, they are in, under God's provision and happiness and blessing. Hugely, hugely important. Now, 
I need to clarify something up here a little bit, because some of you, when I talk about obedient, respectful children, you have in your picture, in, in your mind, a picture of something I'm not picturing. And you're picturing in your mind, when you hear obedient, respectful child, you're picturing a child with a docile personality. You're picturing that kid in the, the old McCain french fry commercial with the glasses and, and eating, he's so cute, and he's not causing his parents any problems, right? Or you have this picture of a little girl sitting at her desk at school and nicely doing homework and never gets into any trouble, okay? And so many people think that obedient, respectful kids are docile kids. I'm not t- obedience and docility of personality are not the same thing. You can have a very spirited, energetic child who, uh, I mean, they are constantly doing things you don't want them to do because they're thinking of things you never thought to tell them not to do, right? <laughs> and they're into everything. These are the kids that they're up on the roof one day, they're shooting the neighbor's cat with a pelican the next, they're in the mud, and every day they're taking years off your life. Every night you go to bed and you're exhausted. Why, God, me? And this kid is spirited and energetic. And some people think, well, the spirited, energetic kid that's taking years off his mother's life, that's a disobedient kid. Not necessarily. I've known spirited and energetic kids, and some of them are very obedient and respectful. I mean, they're up on the roof. You come out, what are you doing up there? They come down. (laughs) See, obedience is obedience. Disobedience is disobedience. Obedience, Obedience does not mean not rambunctious. And you can have a docile, on the other hand, you can have a docile kid who doesn't cause you any problems because they're not very energetic, and so they don't, they don't drain you in that same way, and yet uh, seething under the surface, they've got vanity and pride, and they don't want to do what you tell them to do often. They'll do things behind your back, but they don't create big problems. And so the parents of docile kids often feel proud, look what the work I'm doing, but often underneath the surface, they can still be disobedient and disrespectful. So don't, obedience is not a personality issue. Obedience is obedience. If they do what they, you tell them to do, if they respect authority, then they're doing well, even if they might be an energetic uh, kid. Very important. And again, the thing I want you to notice here is that is, is the blessing is for the child. Um, people out in our culture today, they think when pastors preach about discipline, they think, well, you, you just want it to be easier for the parent. Just discipline them to make it. Well, yeah, when you discipline your kids, your home life will be a little easier. It's more controlled. But that's not the reason. The Bible doesn't say discipline your, your kids so that you'll have an easier life. It's not what it says. It says children obey your parents and respect your parents so that you, the kid, the kid lives better. The kid is happier. The child is happier. The child is more blessed. The child has a better quality of life when he or she obeys you. It's for their good. We don't discipline them for our good. We discipline them because we love them too much not to. And that just reminds me of... Uh, I can't remember if, even if I said it now in this message or not, if I did it yesterday already, but I just thought of it just now. But uh, uh, my brother Stefan, someone once told him, they said, uh, uh, you know, we just love our kids too much to discipline them. We just can't bear to see them cry. And he just gave him one of the best responses uh, I've ever heard. He said, you don't love your kids too much. You love yourself too much. Because the real reason why parents don't discipline their kids is exactly that. I don't want to see them cry. They don't care about their kids' good, uh, best interests. They care about the unpleasantness of going through that whole thing of the kid crying and the energy, the relational energy and time it takes to properly discipline. And So they just think, they think, well, I just love the kid too much to watch him cry. No, you love your own convenience too much. Because your child is better off when they're obedient and respectful. And if you actually love them, does God love us? Yeah. Does he discipline us? Yeah. Do you love your kids? You'll discipline your kids. I want to show you a diagram. I I took this out of a book that I'm going to recommend to you at the end of this uh, message. 
I just love this diagram. As soon as I saw it, I said, I got, I've got to put that in a message because this is a picture. Ephesians 6, 1 to 3, this is that passage in picture form. This is a diagram of Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. And you see the child there who is obedient and respectful is in a circle of safety. They're under God's blessing. And they're in a place where God is smiling on them. And if they grow up like that, they will be used by God. They will continue to be a submissive, godly person. They will continue to be under God's blessing. There's a circle of safety there. The moment they move out, uh, the moment they begin to act out uh, of disobedience and disrespect, they move out of that circle of safety. The Bible says that people who live in disobedience and disrespect will have a difficult, hard life here on earth, not to mention what will happen in eternity. I already showed you that disciplining your kids can save them from hell. The moment they begin to move, disrespect and disobedience is not a minor issue. This is the issue. So they start to act out in disobedience and disrespect. They're now in a place of difficulty and hardship. And by the way, so the Bible says this is true, but you can confirm this anytime you want. Go into a school and compare the obedient, respectful kids to the disobedient, disrespectful kids. Who's happier? Who's living a a better life? It's a no-brainer. The Bible says it, but it's a no-brainer. The obedient, respectful kids have a much better quality of life. So what's this all about that I love my kids too much to discipline them? No, you love yourself too much because if you love them, you would not let them stay out there in the difficulty and the hardship. And so a loving parent sees their child moving out of the circle of safety and so they apply appropriate loving discipline, short-term painful consequences to move them back into the circle of safety, back into relationship with God and with the parent. And a kid is happier there. Short-term painful consequences in order to provoke repentance in the child's heart and save them from long-term harm. So let's get practical now. I want to answer two questions. What is discipline and what behaviors should we discipline for? So let me put a definition up there now of what is discipline. What does it mean to discipline a child? This is what discipline is. Discipline is any, and notice any. You can be creative in this. There is no just one form of discipline You've got to be creative in different family situations, different places and, and times and personalities. Discipline is any appropriate, short-term, painful consequence applied with the intention of bringing a child back into the circle of safety. Discipline is any appropriate, short-term, painful consequence applied with the intention of bringing a child back into the circle of safety. Now, I could highlight a whole bunch of words there. I just want to focus on three really important ones there. Short-term, painful, and consequence. This is what discipline is. First of all, it's painful. I talked to you about that before. If it's not painful, it's not discipline. God puts painful circumstances in your and my life because he loves us. And if you are a loving parent, you're not going to let your kids stay out there in the difficulty and hardship. Pain is what provokes repentance, softens the heart, and brings them back in. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But, let me read that again. All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay? It has, to, it has to produce some kind of pain, okay? Now, people are cringing already. Oh, would he stop using that word pain? I'm, I'm not even necessarily just talking about physical pain. Lots of different kinds of pain in discipline. Let me share with you a great story about, from a woman on our staff here at church, and I asked her permission and her daughter's permission. She has two kids. They're grown up now, young adults, both of them wonderful people. 
okay? Several years ago, her daughter would have been 15, 16, somewhere in there. And uh, her daughter started to roll her eyes at the mom whenever the mom would ask her to do something. Now, a lot of parents these days, they eye rolling? Like, that's just a biological fact of life for teenage girls. Like, uh, <laughs> no big deal. And so a lot of parents are just, forget, you know, what, you know what our big thing is always? We say, well, at least they're not doing drugs, right? <laughs> at least, or another big one, at least they're not having premarital sex. At least they're not doing those things, right? A little eye rolling, I can handle that. Fact of the matter is, these things are just the fruit of deeper underlying poison issues. Disrespect and disobedience are the poison that will kill your kids. And this mom understands that to the core. And she knows it's not, oh, at least she's not doing drugs. She knows disrespect is a poison that will harm her daughter later on. So this is what she did. She uh, took her daughter out for a uh, for uh, dinner, and again, this is a teenager, right? So you're going to do different things with teenagers and little kids. You're not going to take your little kids out for dinner every time they do something that deserves discipline, okay? There's <laughs> a teenager. So she takes her daughter out for dinner, and you sit down, and she talks to her about this. She says, I've noticed lately that when I ask you to do something, you roll your eyes at me. And that is really disrespectful. And then she, she went on this whole talk, you know, about how what you're really saying there is you're telling me that I'm stupid, and you know better than me, and all this sort of stuff. And so she went on this whole thing, and, and the daughter totally got it. I mean, you just sit down, you communicate about it clearly, and yeah, you're right. That is really disrespectful, what I've been doing. And at the end of it, the mom said, okay, and in order to help you learn this, I've got to make sure that if it happens again, we've got to have consequences, because you don't learn from, people, kids don't learn from talking. They learn from consequences. That's what the Bible says over and over and over again. So she said to her daughter, the next time this happens, I'm going to take your cell phone away for a week. Anybody who knows teenage girls who have cell phones knows that is a uniquely and deeply painful uh, consequence, okay? <laughs> so that's what discipline has to be painful. It has to be painful. So they went home, and things, I mean, so you have a conversation like that, things are going to be good for a couple of days. Uh, but sure enough, a few days later, whenever it was, short time later, um, she asked her to do something in the kitchen. I forget what it was, something, take, you know, empty the dishwasher or something. And the daughter rolled her eyes again. And so the mom just looked at her and just said, you just rolled your eyes at me. Right away, the daughter, daughter went, oh, you're not actually going to take my cell phone away just for that, are you, mom? Yes. So she took her phone away for a week, and guess what? Eye rolling, done. <laughs> now, I want you to notice a few things here, okay? First of all, there was no nagging. There was no nagging in this story. Clear communication, then there's a consequence. You do it, consequence. A, you do A, I'm going to do B. There's no nagging. One of the things I see many times with parents these days is nagging. We tell kids more than once. Pick up your clothes. Five minutes later, it's not done. Pick up your clothes. Pick up your clothes or else. Pick up your clothes or else. Five, six, seven times. And every time we do it, our, we're getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. Finally, we blow up. Guess what? That cycle of nagging and getting angry doesn't help your kids, doesn't teach your kids anything, and doesn't help you, doesn't help the relationship. It pushes the relationship apart. So you just tell them once. You should never tell your kids. And of course, none of us is perfect. Even I have to work on this one. Because we're lazy. We want to avoid. We forget that the Bible says, if you love your kids, you'll discipline them. We try to avoid disciplining them. The Bible says, if you love them, you will discipline them. So don't try to avoid it. So we try to avoid it. We tell them, oh shoot, they didn't do it. But I don't want to discipline them. So we tell them again. And we tell them again. You should only tell your kids once. Tell them once. Communicate the consequences. If they don't do it, consequence. It keeps the nagging away keeps the emotions down, and brings the relationship together immediately. 
So that's the first thing I want you to notice there is there was no nagging. Second thing I want you to notice is short-term pain. It has to produce pain to, provo- to produce change. Now, it was short-term. This is the difference between discipline and punishment. Punishment seeks to inflict long-lasting harm or injury. In some Muslim countries today, you steal something, they'll cut off your hand. It doesn't grow back. That's long-term injury. Long-term injury and harm. Discipline never seeks to inflict long-term harm to the, to the child's emotions or to the child's body. That's not discipline. Discipline produces a short, sharp pain, but no long-lasting injury. There's a pain, and then it's gone. There's no after effects except for the repentance in the child's heart. Really, really important. Hugely important. All right? So let me, uh, I just think that's just a brilliant story. I want to just give you three C's now coming out of that that story. Three C's just to help you as parents um, remember some key things about discipline, okay? So we're getting super practical here. First C is communicate. Clearly communicate expectations and consequences, right? Clearly communicate expectations and consequences. Never discipline your kids for something you haven't told them to do, not to do. And, and a lot of people, they just think, what do I discipline my kids for? Do I discipline them for sliding down the banister? Do I discipline them for, uh, you know, uh, juggling with eggs in the kitchen? Do I discipline them for climbing up on the roof? And we don't know what to discipline them for. Here's the thing. You never discipline for anything unless you've told them not to do it. And if you've told them not to do it, what are you disciplining them for? One thing, disobedience. It's very simple. As a parent, you discipline for one thing primarily, and that is disobedience. So you clearly communicate, okay, that was your free pass. I'd never crossed my mind that you would actually think to do that. So now, don't do it again. If you do it, A will equal B, okay? But you don't, and and by the way, and you never discipline for childishness. You never discipline for spilled milk or chocolate stains on the shirt, that sort of thing. You don't discipline for childishness. You don't discipline for energy or spiritedness. You discipline for disobedience. So clearly communicate expectations. Clearly do it. Second C is consequences. Apply appropriate, firm, painful consequences without anger or nagging, as I just talked about. Now, some of you might be saying, well, how do I know if the discipline I'm using is an effective, appropriate, good discipline? Isn't that a good question? How do I know if this discipline is the right one? How do I know if it worked? Let me tell you, this, this is with little kids, not with teenagers. But with little kids, here's how you know if it worked. Here's how you know if it's a good discipline. Two things will happen at the end of it. Crying and hugging. Like, it's just profound, the things I'm giving you here today. <laughs> crying and hugging. Write that, those two things down. If it was a good discipline, there will be crying and there will be hugging. Crying because it hurt. And again, I'm not just talking about physical pain here. Okay? Crying because it hurt. That's what provokes the repentance. And hugging means they came back into the circle, of repent- or the circle of safety because the relationship was restored. They were out here in disobedience and disrespect, and now they're inside. They felt sorry. They want mommy and daddy. They feel their love. That is what discipline is all about. Punishment keeps the two parties apart. Discipline brings them together. Crying means it provoked repentance. Hugging means the relationship was, was, was restored. They're back in the circle of safety. So you apply an appropriate, short-term, painful consequence without anger and nagging. And at the end of it, the relationship is restored. It's amazing how this works. Yeah, I have time. I may as well step on a few toes here. You're not paying me for nothing, okay? (laughs) (laughs) While we're here, 
Let's talk about timeouts for just a minute. First of all, oh, already I'm hearing groans. Oh boy, here we go. Um, first of all, let me just say off the top, I'm not against all timeouts, okay? Not against them. And I know we're in a timeout culture. Oh, everybody just believes in timeouts. Timeout for the timeout. And I get, okay, sometimes it works. There are certain soft personalities of kids where sitting on a chair for five minutes will just break their little hearts and they'll hug you and they'll cry and it was an effective discipline. And I also know, and timeouts can also be effective for calming a kid down. They just need to calm down and think for a bit. Timeout can be effective for that. But let me tell you something. Timeouts, most of the time, are not discipline. And I'll tell you why. They aren't painful. That's just the truth. All discipline is painful. And we live in a timeout culture. Timeout, timeout, timeout. Get, get your kid in line with timeouts. And we have some of the worst behavior ever. Because timeouts don't work. You put a kid, for most kids, you put most kids in a timeout, this is what I see. Kids go for a timeout, they sit there sullenly or impatiently just trying to get out. There's no repentance. There's no moving back into the circle of safety, into respect and obedience. Just, oh, let's get this over with. It doesn't provoke a short, short it's not a short-term pain that provokes, I'm sorry, and I won't want to do that again. That's why timeouts, for the most part, don't work. I look forward to the emails. Third C, consistent. <laughs> Consistent, follow through day in and day out. This is really huge. If you say you're going to do something, you need to do it. There's safety in this for your kids. Don't be inconsistent. Inconsistency it feels unsafe for your kids. They're uncertain. They're always trying to read your emotions. Well, what's mom feeling today? If she's happy, we'll probably get away with most stuff. You never quite know. If she's, if she's down, we for sure won't get away with anything. But they're always trying to read your emotions. Your kids should not have to read your emotions. Drop a ball, it hits the ground. Do A, you're going to get B. Consequences. Be consistent. There's safety in that. Huge safety. Very, very important. All right, final point to this message now. The one you've all been waiting for. Let's talk about spanking. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Three things I want to say before I get into this. First of all, spanking, I get that spanking is only one form of discipline. It's only one form. There are, there are family situations where families shouldn't use it. There are family situations where families can't use it. There's creativity. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you can only use this form of discipline. Okay? There's creativity. Again, I defined discipline for you before is any short term. And then I gave you appropriate you know, painful consequence. And I give you an example of taking away a cell phone, which had nothing to do with spanking, okay? Very important. I recognize that spanking is only one form of discipline. Secondly, I want to say this. If you are a person of anger without self-control, your lack of character means you have forfeited the right to use this tool in your, in your discipline techniques. Your lack of character, you've just, you, don't, you just can't use it. You're going to have to use other things. But thirdly, let me just say this. It's in the Bible. We are so hysterical about spanking today. And the moment I mention spanking, or I talk to people even leading up to this message, the first thing they want to make sure is that I'm not going to tell people to abuse their kids. Well, of course I'm not going to tell them to do that. We're so hysterical about spanking that we can't even talk about it without thinking about abuse. But God took that risk in the Bible. I showed you a whole bunch of verses in here that said discipline will save your kid's soul from Sheol and death and those sorts of things. In almost all of those verses, spanking is specifically mentioned. 
Now, do you think that God, the creator of the universe, infinite in wisdom, infinite in knowledge, do you think he's sitting up in heaven right now and saying to himself, I'm so embarrassed I put that piece about spanking in there? (laughs) Is he talking to his angels? Is he saying, shoot, I wish we could go back and cross that one out. Because the pop culture, modern day child psychologists are wiser than me and they've proved me wrong. Are these God's words or are these God's words? So the fact that it's in the Bible a bunch of times means that, would God tell us to do anything that hurts our kids? No. Does God only want what's best for you and for your kids? Yes. Does God want your kids in heaven? Yes. So at the very least, I get that there are family situations where families shouldn't use it. I get that there are family situations where families can't use it. And I get personalities and different things. I'm not saying it's the only way, but at the very least, we must acknowledge before God, if we believe these to be his words, we must acknowledge that spanking is at least one very effective tool in disciplining a child and saving their soul from hell. And I care more about my kids than I care about political correctness. The problem is today, the problem is today that people in their hysteria about spanking, they equate spanking and hitting. And I had a guy tell me once, he said, uh, he was being sarcastic because he, he never spanked his kids and he never disciplined them at all. And the kids were terrible, by the way, but anyway. He said, why would I hit my kid to teach my kid not to hit someone? To which I thought to myself, and I wish I would have thought it quicker while he was, I was still in the conversation, but I thought it later. I thought to myself, of course you don't hit your kid to teach them not to hit. You spank them not to, to teach them not to hit. Spanking and hitting aren't the same things. I showed you a whole bunch of passages earlier in this, in this series, and I refer you back to those messages that God hates abuse, and he will judge abusers. Spanking and hitting are not the same thing. But today, many people, when they hear the word spanking, they associate it with the wrong pictures. They associate it with hitting, beating, anger, yelling. All of those things are wicked and sinful, and God judges those who do those things to kids. Spanking is none of those things. So I'm going to put a chart up here now, and I'm going to show you the difference between spanking and hitting. I'm going to show you the difference between spanking and hitting. They're, those are two different things. You don't think about the same thing when you hear spanking and when you hear hitting. By the way, I do want to say one other thing too. A lot of people are under the false impression that it's illegal to spank your kids in Canada. That's false. The Supreme Court of Canada explicitly ruled just a few years ago, somewhere in the last four or five years, I forget the exact uh, year, they explicitly ruled that it is legal in Canada to spank your kids anywhere between the age of 2 and 12 with an open hand on the bum. They explicitly ruled that. And so this is legal. And again, God hates abuse but I don't want to get so alarmed about abuse that I'm teaching people and they're sending their kids to hell. So let's look at the difference. Spanking is only on the bum. Those of you who don't know where the bum is, right there. (laughs) I was waiting all message to say that. Spanking is only on the bum. Hitting and abuse is anywhere. So if you're slapping a child, hitting them on the back or the legs or or using something to hit them, that is abuse and God hates it. Okay? Spanking is only on the bum. Spanking is never done in anger. Hitting and abuse are done in anger. It's a lash out. In hitting and abuse, the parent is not caring about the kid's good. They're getting rid of their own 
they're letting off steam, taking out their anger. Spanking is four to six swats with an open hand on the bum. Let, let me just tell you something here, by the way. A spanking causes pain for a maximum of five to ten seconds. Think about that. Five to ten seconds. Five to ten seconds, and his child is back in the circle of safety. As opposed to what many families are doing nowadays, where they nag and nag and nag and nag, the whole family has a horrible evening because the kids are out of control, and it ends up with the parents in anger saying words to their kids that will wound them for years. Five to ten seconds of pain. Does God love your kids more, or do the modern-day psychologists love them more? I think God gets it. Spanking is a deliberate process. Hitting and abuse is when a parent lashes out suddenly. Spanking is preceded by clear and calm communication. Hitting and abuse, are, uh, there's either no communication, you just lash out, or there's yelling. Spanking, the child understands why they're in trouble, they can verbalize it. Again, with hitting, the child does not necessarily know that what they've done is wrong. Children, age 2 to 10. I mean, it's younger children. Spanking is for younger kids. It's not, if you're here today with teenagers, no. It's now pray to God and have creativity, okay? But up to 2 to 10, spanking, again, spanking isn't the only one. I'm not saying spanking is the only one. There's other things too. Lots of other techniques we use and stuff that we do to love our kids. But for disobedience and disrespect, spanking is one that the Bible says is very effective. 2 to 10. And again, spanking is only for disobedience and disrespect. If I had room, I would add another one at the bottom there, which is that after discipline and after spanking, you always, it's, it's over now. Hug, love, forgiveness. All right? Let me finish this with one last piece here for those of you who are here today who are parents. I want to recommend to you a, a book, an excellent book, uh, one of the best on parenting I've ever read, and very practical, very biblical, very thoroughly biblical, and it's uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. And, uh, just, and so I would just recommend it. Just read it, work your way through a book. There's only so much I can say in a few messages. And uh, so if you're here today, maybe you're a grandparent. Buy it and give it to your kids. And uh, if you're a parent here today, you can buy it and read it. It's just good. All right? Bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus. First thing I want to pray, Father, is that you would protect our families here at Southland. Our government is becoming increasingly intrusive in family life. In, they're poking their noses where their noses should not be poked. And they're trying to tell us what we can teach our kids. And they're trying to tell us things that we can't do with our kids that are in the Bible. And Father, I pray that you would protect our families in this country from that kind of government intrusion. Father, I pray that you would stand on the side of families and kids and parents in this nation. Father, I pray for the parents in this church, Lord Jesus, that you would give us wisdom and you would give us courage to love our kids and to discipline them and to communicate with them and to raise them to be godly people. Lord, I just know that as we follow your laws, our kids here at Southern are going to be the happiest, healthiest, and best quality of life living kids anywhere. And I pray that others would be able to see that. Pray for a mighty harvest, and I pray for this next generation, Lord Jesus, to be filled with your spirit and to relive the stories that we read about in Acts. Father, I, that's what I pray for our next generation coming up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.